2: live from the nasdaq market site in the heart of new york city's times square this is fast money here's what's on tap tonight digital demand as the holiday shopping season kicks into high gear the early winners are the e-commerce kings will this be the year that the onliners trounce the big box names we'll debate plus a heavyweight battle a new study revealing that lily's Manjaro is a better drug for weight loss than novo's Ozempic. The doctor behind those results will join us in just a few minutes from now. And later, a glittering milestone for gold. One foot out the door at Foot Locker, why one of our traders is selling. And the options action for Salesforce ahead of results later in the week. I'm Sarah Eisen. and tonight for Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight with me is Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we're going to begin with a mixed bag of early holiday shopping results. Adobe Analytics finding spending on Black Friday was up almost 8% versus last year. Cyber Monday. Expected to post solid gains this year, too. But heavy promotions and deep discounts have been the driving force to boost in-store traffic. The early winners so far include Shopify, Etsy, Amazon, as shoppers have been content to search for deals from their couch instead of braving the crowds. Other early winners here in the retail space who've embraced buy now, pay later. That was a big sub story today. Check out shares of a firm as BNPL. It's the number one pure play stock there. The stock closing out the day up over 12 percent. Over the last 30 days, a firm is up nearly 75 percent. So what does this seemingly mixed start to the season tell us about the consumer, the economy and retail and what to do with these stocks? Karen, are you surprised? I am a little bit surprised because we've heard a
0: lot about the consumer being weak in the last several weeks. And um, so this would sort of fly in the face of that. One of the names you talked about Etsy, which is one that I own. Um, so this is only an e-commerce site. I love the Etsy model, which is very asset light. All they do is just take a posting fee and they take a percentage of every transaction. And so I also think this is something a little more unique and shoppers can find something probably a little bit less expensive. So I love the way that's positioned. We did we did see Target last week, which was sort of a reprieve from what we thought would be terrible. So maybe this shouldn't have shouldn't have been a surprise. I am a bit surprised, though, with how how strong it seemed to be today. But there's still I don't know how many days left in the season, a lot can happen. And a lot of extra can happen days, too, to this margin. year. True. Extra days
2: this year. So what, what do you think of this trend, Guy, that's shaping up where the online retailers are doing better than in-store, which, which typically happens, Makes but I sense. think in this environment where we were expecting it to be weak because of all the the guidance that we got from retail.
3: Yeah. What's interesting is some of these stocks that is seemingly left for dead, Tim talked about this last week. I mean, Gap stores, for example, look at the move we've seen in Gap. The relief rally we've seen in target but does suggest that they're operating better or is it just a relief rally off oversold conditions this way i look at the retailer the consumers out there the retailers across a swath of companies have talked about basically things slowing down in a pretty meaningful way in 2024 i agree with that if california is any indicator I think the unemployment rate in California now is up to 4.8%. That's typically a leading economic indicator for the rest of the country, maybe by six to nine months. So if that is, in fact, the case, I think you're going to start to see a pretty severe move higher in the unemployment rate, which I don't think is going to be particularly positive for retailers. I think the bounces you've seen, especially in like a Target and a Gap, are oversold condition bounces that need to be sold at these levels. There
2: were some, there were some signs of improvement in Target, certainly in the profitability Picture Gap, two, Right.
3: Yeah. No. Listen, again, improving Target was a disaster. Target just basically got their seemingly got their inventories in order. But the problems they face, I think, are secular in nature. They're not going away anytime soon. I mean, Gap stores problems are been in, in place for many years now. Target for the last year and a half, two years. When you're in the middle in this environment, basically Target as opposed to a Walmart, you're no man's land. And I think Target is still there.
2: What do you think, Dan?
4: Um, you know, one of the more interesting things I read about the weekend, and to your point about just this kind of shift more towards online, maybe that's a bit of the COVID behavior, kind of just kind of working its way through. We heard a lot about the pull forward of this sort of e-commerce behavior, and it seems like Black Friday's dead. It's going to be Cyber Month, November from here on out. But the uh, the journal had an article about um, Amazon overtaking UPS, FedEx, uh, not yet USPS on deliveries, and they're expected to do like six billion or something deliveries. This is Amazon. Amazon uh, alone to packages here in the U.S. So I think that's really interesting. I think it just kind of cements the fact that bricks and mortar is going to have a tough time from um, here on out. Um, but to me, you know, again, I, I think that, like, we're going to hear great things out of Amazon. I think to your point about some of these more niche stories and Etsy and the like here. And so, um, you know, I, I think that the, the department stores were very clear like it's kind of over here. And, and some of the big box stuff last week, at least what we heard, for the most part was not particularly good. And if you do not have a good barbell strategy, you're dead in the water in retail.
2: I feel like the promotion's online also. Like it used to be you had to go to the store to get the best deals, but there were some steep discounts online, just yeah. anecdotally.
4: Well, I,
1: indeed. And I think also the elongated, you know, Cyber Monday, Black Friday. I mean, this season's gone on forever. So the fact that those numbers are pretty good over the weekend on a, on a comp basis, those comps aren't the same. I and mean, actually, the comps would make it tougher for them to, to hit those comps. I, Amazon, by the way, is a, as a stock, as a chart, um, that's a chart that's, you know, basically working off a multi-year base. And I think it's breaking out to the upside. And I think there's reasons for it. But I, I look across the the, the retail space, and, and there's very different stories based upon segment. Uh the, the target versus Walmart spread has been working because Target was so bad. It wasn't that their numbers were so good, and and the, the the trends that have been so good for for Walmart are things. And as someone that's long Walmart and loves the company and loves the execution, uh, there's disinflation for sure. There may in fact be some deflation, and it gets back also just to the consumer this holiday period. I, I think I think a lot of the retailers are very resilient here, um, and, and I think the consumer is cautious. As we've all said, Guy was pointing this out. You you look at a basket of goods. Bloomberg got a couple quotes out this morning in terms of a basket, uh, $120, $119.5 uh, buys you what 100 bought you pre-COVID. The consumer feels this. Groceries are up 25%. I know gas is cheaper. There's no question this is translating into where the consumer is this holiday season. And then there's segments. And I'll just tease the segment because Karen's got some interesting stuff to say uh, later on in the show about a particular specialty retailer. I just think depending on the sector you're in um, and where you sit, I mean, there's certain parts of, for example, athleisure and whatnot. I think you've pulled forward a lot.
2: Right. It does does feel like nobody's spending on home goods, but they're spending on Taylor Swift tickets, for instance. Uh, Guys, another potential way to play retail may be coming because CNBC now confirming that Sheehan, the major online retailer, has filed confidentially to go public. This was first reported by The Wall Street Journal. It could be one of the biggest IPOs in years. The last time Xi'an raised money in the private market got a valuation of $66 billion, and that was down by a third from its prior valuation. Um, This is a company that, they don't call themselves fast fashion. They like the on-demand fashion. They've totally changed the model and have captivated American consumers. Don't call them a Chinese company. They've been hard at work (laughs) in, in Washington trying to convince everyone. The manufacturing is done in China. The headquarters is in Singapore, and so is the CEO. The retail market is all over the globe. They don't sell in China and they have a huge growing market in the U.S. What do you think?
0: Well, I think it has a lot to not like in that, OK, you can call it, you know, on demand, which is so different than fast fashion. I can't even begin to tell you how different it is. And you could say they're not a Chinese company, but OK, they seem to be. So those are two things right now that are fairly out of favor. Right. We So we've seen. With the K-Web and we've seen Alibaba, for example, just valuations just get cut, cut, cut beyond what any reasonable model should show they should trade it. However, here we are. So this is one that uh, I have to see the numbers, but I, I can't imagine I'll be gung ho to mm. jump into this one. Um, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot to the consider. There's a lot of uh, competition as well. Timu and.
2: It is one of the most valuable startups, though.
4: When you think about BABA, we know that model. It Really, we got to know it as the, the, the Chinese Amazon, right, for all intents and purposes. But if you look on the flip side of that, look at Pinduoduo, the PDD, okay, so a very unique retail model out of China. That stock is raging. I think it's at 52-week high. It's got $150 billion market cap. They're expected to do $28 billion of sale, but, uh, sales. But then you look at JD and you look at BABA on the flip side of the models that we know. And, and I say that, you know, Shen obviously is a very different model than those, and that's maybe why it will work. I don't know it. Well. Well enough, I know you and Deirdre Bosa, you guys have been talking about it yeah. a lot for the last few months on CNBC, and I've taken a well, look at a it. Well, there's a
2: reason. It has more than 330 million customers
4: yeah.
2: around the globe. I yeah. mean, it's really taken people by storm. And I think has revolutionized They have this secret algorithm where, where someone orders— it, it's kind of—they have designers that work on the clothes, but the algorithm helps sort of determine what consumers want based on what they're ordering. How
4: do you think our regulatory body is going to like secret Chinese algorithms? <laughs> in it's in not a day, Chinese I know, but I it think. is. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying. Like, who knows? It's going to be messy. I
2: think that true. consumers like five-dollar skirts, and that's really what I think has been revolutionary. And they don't have any inventory, so. <laughs> Guy, why are you smiling? Why are you, no, I'm, I'm why are you mm-hmm. looking at me? No, I just, I'm just I, smiling
3: because I'm happy. He's so pointing out some inventory. You know, it's a Monday a night. Here. Rangers play Tonight, right. I'll say this quick. Got breaking news. We're jumping on it. Real quick. In terms of fundamentals, I think we've learned the hard way at times in Alibaba. Fundamentals don't matter. A lot of this is basically predicated on how these stocks trade. If the fundamentals mattered in a name like Alibaba, the stock would be, I think, almost twice where it's trading at now. So you can we can talk about fundamentals all you want, but in terms of these stocks, you have to actually understand how to trade them. And I'll say this quickly: Alibaba at seventy-seven, I think, is pretty
2: interesting. Interesting. As Hopefully a trade, like yeah, 100%. Right. Let's dig a little deeper now on the early returns from Black Friday weekend and Cyber Monday. Our Courtney Reagan has been live all day in Chino, California, at a Walmart fulfillment center. Courtney, you've been listening to our conversation. What are your takeaways from these first few days of the holiday season?
5: Yeah, you know, I think it is really interesting, the traction that we've seen online, especially what we heard out of a lot of the retailers for the third quarter, where many of them actually reported digital sales down year over year in some cases, more so than the sales in store. I do think it's very interesting, the data that we've gotten from Sensormatic and Retail Next, which tracks uh, shopper traffic in store, and both said they were stronger than expected on Black Friday. So I think there's something to be said there. I was at a mall on Black Friday. I saw it sort of pick up all day long. I think it's just proven that the consumer is much stronger and still has dry powder than at least some executives were worried about for this first big weekend, but we do still have a very long season because of how early Thanksgiving fell. That being said, Walmart CFO John David Rainey kept talking about how he had gotten more cautious on the consumer because consumers were buying during these promotional events, but less so before and after, which makes a weekend like this really, really important. That being said, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Sarah, Adobe increasing their expectations for Cyber Monday today after what they heard over the weekend online. I talked to executives at third party logistics companies, ShipBob and Radial, and they fulfill orders for a lot of these specialty retailers online, but also a lot of some of the big box retailers. And all of them (laughs) said that they are really bullish on what's going on this season and so far today.
2: Courtney, how indicative black friday and cyber monday sales for the rest of the holiday season
5: yeah so it's a really important weekend Uh, adobe does think that this thanksgiving to cyber monday period could make up about 17 percent of the total online sales for the whole season but what honestly ends up happening sarah is you see this big bump now and you sort of see this lull for a couple weeks consumers wait until those expedited shipping cutoffs start to sort of fall for their favorite retailers online. And then you see spending pick up again. And then the last Saturday before Christmas is always really, really important. So I expect to sort of see this roller coaster of action for traffic, both online and in store, which is why this week becomes so important for retailers to grab as much as they possibly can when it comes to sales and traffic. Because then we kind of die off a little bit when it comes to our interest in shopping and we take advantage of other things during the season like celebrations travel i know you talk about going to see concerts and just things like that to help celebrate the season in a more normal way which again a lot of retailers have sort of pointed out this seems like a much more normal season in the way that consumers want to celebrate it than they've seen in the last several years
2: courtney thank you just watching those packages zip by in the background courtney reagan maybe my the soccer nets that i ordered for my kids um, from walmart Or back there.
3: Well now to see why you say that
1: if they're watching watching, now they know. They're not watching. How do you know this?
2: (laughs) Because they Okay, you don't know is the answer. They're more squawking the
1: street folks. (laughs) Disappointing.
2: Yeah, no, they're they're more. They they've been watching a lot of sports lately. They can't. They can't. They were on CNBC. on does that Friday. Well, hold on? Before
3: we have time, does that mortify you or does that make you happy that they're
2: watching know. sports? it yeah. does not mortify me. It Looks makes me good. Happy. No, it's good. They, they like. They,
3: I'm gonna watch the Ranger game tonight. MSG Network. They Silver watched the clock. Michigan
2: game on Saturday. Yeah, they, they watched did. the Eagles. F1 we stayed up late week. into overtime. The F1 is why I got into killer, it. Because my kids killer are, doc
3: that you
4: did.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, that was all inspired by them. So let's let's trade this this retail story, which is important because we have to figure out what's going on with the consumer. It's not really clear. What do you think?
0: I think the consumer is still there, though. I think they've had some headwinds, some tailwinds. So the headwinds are just talk of the consumer being under pressure. That's one. Uh, the tailwinds definitely still employed, wages still going up, oil coming down. Those are all good things, and interest rates, of course. That's been a big thing. So maybe some of the retailers that have been really hurt, a Home Depot and a Lowe's, are starting to actually see a little bit of life as we see rates come down and the idea that, okay, maybe real estate will recover.
2: Uh, The home- Didn't get that in new home sales today. Uh, No, we didn't.
0: Mm. But those stocks are doing better.
2: Yes. And what was California unemployment 4.8, I
3: believe. It was 4.7 in September. I think it's 4.8 now. And listen, I think the Fed would never acknowledge this, but they want the unemployment rate across the country somewhere between 45 and 5%. I think they're going to get what they wish for, and I don't think that's particularly bullish for the consumer Well, stock.
1: especially if the consumer has got a job and we have record unemployment, and, and, and this is what you get from the consumer. I mean, it's not, it's not a great stake or, or, or speak to. And just quickly, on a firm, because this whole thing that you've yeah. seen by now, I mean— such a seller of that one. Again, take 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 this rally you've seen from 12 to 29. If you think credit's getting better for the consumer, if you think this company, their funding base and their profitability, don't even call it a credit story. Call it a company that survived and basically was built, I think, off of free money. Um, that's a stock that's had a huge move, and I, I think you're fading that one.
2: It has. A major Wall Street firm delivering its 2024 S&P 500 forecast today. Wells Fargo Securities going with 46.25. That's just 75 points from today's S&P 500 close. Chris Harvey is behind the forecast. Chris is the firm's head of equity strategy. So you think the market does nothing next year?
6: A whole lot of nothing. Why? Uh, why? Because if you look at things, right, it's really hard to get excited. If we have better growth, then the Fed doesn't do anything. If we have worse growth, then numbers are going to come down. And the Fed will eventually cut. The second half will be better. But the first half is going to be really, really sloppy. So we just can't get excited about things. And, and the other issue is everyone's moved over to one side of the boat. Credit spreads are all year, um, year-to-date tights, equity markets up 20%, the VIX is at 13. Every time we've gone into a new year with the VIX at 13, we've seen spikes, we've seen the equity market pull back. And, and it's just not a great setup into 2024.
2: I feel like the consensus is a little more positive than you are right now. <laughs> this idea that we might go into another year with no recession. Everyone expected it this year, didn't happen. Right. If we don't have one again next year, that's a soft landing. And the Fed's done raising interest rates and might start to cut, which could be good news.
6: So, so here's the here's the problem with that. The cost of capital is a lot higher this year than it was last year. Right. And if the cost of capital is higher, multiples can't go higher. The growth that we have is pretty. It's OK. It's not great. You can only have a big recovery if you have a big recession. And that just hasn't occurred. So at the end of the day, you're stuck in this catch 22 things are better. Fed's more hawkish. Things are worse, then numbers come down and, and things aren't great there either. But, but Chris, so we're,
1: we're in a sub 13 VIX environment and I hear you that you know you don't see a lot of upside. The things you're worried about, I think I am too. Um, but do we go to 46.50, just kind of dribble higher? In other words, think about the year we've had. Think about yeah. the volatility within the lines. Think about right. some of the dynamics we're going to start the year with, where you've had a NASDAQ rally 14% in, th- in you know, 20 right. sessions. Um, just kind of curious how you see, because I think a lot of people, especially with the broader and a more constructive, potentially rates environment to investing, in and from an asset allocation perspective, that wouldn't be
6: terrible um, if it was a nice, smooth, calm road. Right. So can we go higher from here? Sure, we can go a little bit higher, but I, don't, I just don't think you can go a ton higher. People have talked about 5,000. I don't see how you get to that level. And if you look at, at corporate bonds, if you look at the alternatives, there are things that are pretty attractive. And I hate to say that being the head of equity strategy, but you can park money at the front of the curve and make a pretty good rate of return and not put on a whole lot of risk.
0: So, Chris, we always talk about the market is not a monolith. So do you think that there's pockets within, like, let's say the Russell 2000 or something like that, where you could see different growth and then maybe the Magnificent Seven uh, take a breather for a
6: while? So we want to be really constructive on small caps, but we just can't get there because there's too much operational leverage and there's too much balance sheet leverage. They're really oversold. But until we see the Fed cutting rates, we can't get there as far as other sectors. I hate to say it, but the magnificent, it's not so much the magnificent seven, but it's the Uber caps are still in a good place. They're not as effective as rates. They have better growth rates, better balance sheets. Valuation isn't horrific. This is not the 1990s, right? And they can still work in that kind of environment. What we want to do is we want to go to the places that are oversold. We just upgraded um, utilities today. We upgraded uh, healthcare. Those are areas that have good valuations. Um, decent. Um, decent fundamentals, and most people really aren't there at this point in time.
4: Chris, uh, Guy and I had a conversation last week with the illustrious Lizanne Saunders from Schwab, and she made a really good point to us or some of these folks who are calling for a recession and maybe it gets pushed out another year, that sort of thing. And her call has been that there's just been rolling recessions in different parts of the economy, and it's been reflected in the stock market. You can look at the sort of stuff that has underperformed this year in a year that the S&P is up more than 18 percent or so. How how do you, like, is that making your job harder as a strategist? Karen just asked you about small caps, (laughs) but there's a lot of things that have been going on under the surface. We pointed out on the show here, if you you do think about things in monolithic terms and say, oh, how can the market go higher yeah. with the banks acting as bad as they are, that sort of thing. Like, yeah. Does that give you some hope that maybe you know, a lot of these folks that have you know, 5,000 and up targets at the end of 2024 could be right?
6: I, listen, you can, they can always be right. I can always be wrong. Uh, the issue, I, I think you hit on something that, that's perfect. So just talking about the economy, what we've been talking about is an economic malaise. Right? It takes a ton to bring, bring the U.S. economy into recession. It takes a ton to bring it up to 3%. But you're right we've had this kind of ace asynchronous growth some stocks some sectors are going down others are going back up and that just makes this kind of lackluster type of growth so and we think we're going to see that going forward and until we see some a real washout one of the things we're talking about is we go back to silicon valley silicon valley was an event it wasn't a clearing event a lot of balance sheets a lot of people still just have situations that they need to clear out right if you look at the banks you look at the insurance companies People have duration on, and they're underwater in a lot of these positions. It's hard to put on duration at this point in time, and that's keeping the cost of capital higher. And As long as the cost of capital stays higher, it's really hard for me to, to get to a much higher price target.
2: Chris, thank you for coming in. Love post-Thanksgiving when the new year outlooks come come out, even if they say nothing's happening. Chris Wells <laughs> Fargo. let's trade it. Tim.
1: Well, I, I like where Chris is going. I think there is a barbell approach. I, I, right now, it's hard for me to believe that the leadership we've had is the leadership that we won't continue to have. And and they I
0: will or won't. They will continue.
1: We will continue to have the same leadership. Maybe I said two double negatives. Maybe that's a double. <laughs> I don't negative. know. Um, I, I I think there is an opportunity to make money in utilities and staples and energy and healthcare. And, and I think. They they will be defensive sectors for next year for some of the obvious reasons, especially the underperformance. But if we have peaked in rates, um, if we have peaked in some of the dynamics that I think people also are really looking at a lot of these ut- utility companies and saying they can't actually exist in the new rate environment. That's one of the reasons why I think the overshot to the downside. So, I, I you know, I, my overall view is the leadership, though, is important that we've had as much as we want market breadth. I think it's going to be tough.
2: All right. What is it? 28 percent of the s and is a magnificent seven. Yep. Coming up, don't call it a comeback. Crypto's revival helping boost Coinbase to 18-month highs. Some of our traders are loving the move. So can coin keep climbing? We're going to debate that next. Plus, a shining safe haven, gold, jumping to six-month highs as the dollar dips. The 24-carat trade when fast money returns. Back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Look at Coinbase rallying to highs we haven't seen since May of last year. The crypto exchange platform popping almost 4% today. It's up almost 70% in the last month. Of course, this comes after major rival Binance was hit by the Department of Justice with a $4 billion settlement last week. Dan and Tim flagging the move earlier, do you stick with that? It's no, kind of surprising, I given f- all the drama. I think you it?
4: do, and I'm gonna say for two reasons here. I mean, just technically, if you take the name off of it, what they do, you'd say, wow, that's a beautiful looking chart, and it's breaking out here and the like here. But when I think about what their like opportunity is relative to what the opportunity is gonna look like if there's five spot Bitcoin ETF, or, you know, ETFs in, let's say, a year from now, I say to myself, okay, well, if margins are the big issue here, I mean, this company you know, is not profitable right now, despite the fact that they've made great strides towards profitability over the last couple of years. They say that, you know, margins are going to come in really hard here, and this is going to look like a very expensive stock in the not-so-distant future. And I also think they're going to have lots of competition for people who want exposure to Bitcoin through these spot ETFs. Yeah, I think that's really the story. But, again, I'm
1: long the stock. I'm long it you know somewhere over the last six months, and so it's been a pretty good run. I, I think the, the, the ETF reality means – Bitcoin, unless you believe outside of, you know, Ethereum and and Bitcoin are going to be wide open and it's a brand new frontier, which a lot of people thought a few years ago, that was why you wanted to own Coinbase in addition to those. Then I think Coinbase really is still in the pole position in terms of that leadership. They do have a business around custody. They do have a business around surveillance and like insight into what's going on. Are those. Are those reasons to pay a big multiple for the stock? Probably not. Ask Bank of New York on on what custody can do for you. But I, I do I do think that the ETFs um, have inspired the move higher in Bitcoin, which inspires the move higher in Coinbase. We know the correlation. We know also the lag effect of. Coinbase to Bitcoin. So um, after rallying 32 percent relative to Bitcoin over the last three weeks, after underperforming by 54 percent, I think there's a little more to go. But I think there's more to go in the short to medium term before we really even have to ask the questions about what's Coinbase's real future.
2: But here's my question. If the whole premise, one of the premise is that there's going to be increasing adoption of Bitcoin as an investment, as whatever it is from institutional investors. First, there's SBF. Now there's CZ. I mean, it's just it's it's constant um, pattern here of criminal behavior yeah. and fraud, which doesn't that make it more dangerous? Well, for here's the investors? good news
4: about Brian Armstrong, who's the CEO and founder of this company. I mean, he has been at the forefront of dealing with regulators and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And it seems like that is a really well-run company, to be very clear. And I'm, this is not an indictment. I'm not saying anything negative about the company. I'm just saying if you're an investor and you're excited about Bitcoin as an asset class or whatever you think it is, you're going to have lots of ways to get exposure to that, not just buying the, the you know, Bitcoin or ETH. On, so you don't on think it's turn off, Well, look, stuff. I mean,
1: no, Coin, Coinbase's biggest kind of risk is the regulatory risk in the SEC. I think it could also be upside if you actually believe they're going to be able to win and settle this dynamic around whether they are actually trading securities or not. So um, I agree with Dan, though. I, I think you have a case here where I mean, look, anything can happen. can anything can happen in any boardroom in any public company. But this is a company that, that I think has, is is. Been around and proven through some difficult times to actually survive. The bigger issue, really, is what's their business model if, in fact, people want to own two securities in the digital space. And I doubt that's what they do want to own. I think they're going to want to own more.
2: Brian Armstrong telling CNBC Europe today, we can turn the page now after this uh, after this money laundering scandal by Binance. Well, there's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next on the show
6: sitting on a gold mine, the precious metal hitting six-month highs as the dollar heads south. So how should you trade the moves? Plus, the obesity drug battle rages on, and a new study could be tipping the scales. The name's taking the lead ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back
2: to Fast Money. Gold crossing back above the key $2,000 level today, hitting its highest level since mid-May as the U.S. dollar heads to a three-month low. Guy, you wanted to do this because I was here, right? A hundred uh, percent, because yeah.
3: I know this twerks you and amazing, you hate this gold thing because you think it's just. But a, I
2: always like talking about the dollar. So let's and that's talk. The only well, gold so let's talk about anyway. both. Okay.
3: Gold hung in there when the dollar was raging higher and ten-year yields were five percent. Historically, that's an environment where gold goes down in a significant way. It didn't happen. It held serve. Why not? Because gold's absolutely in play. Now you see rates coming down. Central banks continue to buy. In 2022, they bought a record amount. They're buying the same amount this year. They're obviously seeing something. I've said this before. They're hedging their own ineptitude. And if the dollar continues to go lower, that, t- that tailwind continues to be there. And if we cross through this recent all-time high – Every hedge fund institution that is not involved in gold will try to get it at the same time, and that's when the next leg higher starts.
1: I'll I'll raise you and tell you, look at a 20-year chart of gold, Sarah, which I know you do, because you look at (laughs) long-term charts of all this stuff. And, in fact, I believe in long-cycle investing. Uh, I think the dollar's been in a 13-year bull market Mm -hmm. that I think is running out of steam. I think gold – That 20-year chart has done exactly what gold – everyone's like, why isn't gold rallying? Because they have any reason, right, Karen? There was always a reason to buy gold. Good, bad, sideways. The
0: world is scary. Inflation, deflation, it's all good for gold. But
1: but gold's not supposed to go up 20% a year or or 30% a year. I mean, granted, it's had those moments. I I just think you look at a long-term chart of gold and you correlate that with the free money, the QE, and the Fed gone crazy – And that's exactly what this last 20 years, really 15 years, have been about. And gold's a great chart. I actually think, look at that chart and tell me, if you think you're buying a store of value in something that's not supposed to be giving you a massive yield. you guys are saying no matter
2: what is happening with the dollar. I was being sarcastic. I (laughs) I feel
0: like that gold, they always say. Did you get pulled uh, into that? (laughs) (laughs) Every kind of reason is good for gold.
2: Yeah, and, and it's it, not always. And it's not. Right. I mean, gold just moves up when the dollar moves down. Okay. And it's I want to ask you
3: a favor. dollar's I'm, in a 13 year bull market, though. When gold, gold breaks out it. to the upside, and, you're, and it's a lead story on CNBC, I want you to invite Tim <laughs> Seymour and G swiz here onto your show to wax full I'm, I'm
2: just saying that you have to have dollar weakness for gold to get breaking. Not necessarily,
3: but I, I. What do we I have now?
2: We have dollar weakness, we but isn't the U.S. still in better shape than the rest of the world?
1: Isn't the dollar within 3% of all time highs? No. All-time highs uh, uh, on this recent run, 110 on the Dixie.
2: Dollar's had some significant weakness here over the last few months.
1: It's had some significant weakness. But the point is the dollar's been in a bull market largely. And certainly from May of 21 to where we are now, dollars dollars up 20%. Gold's done great. Um, 2055 is the level. We've hit it three times in the last year and a half. So, you know, it's nice to see it at 2000. It's a symbolic number. But the breakout above 2055 is when I think you start to, to get excited.
2: All right. The men like gold. When we come back, And
1: she said, by the way, she did, she basically said she's inviting us on to talk about I know about she did. Gold. We're then, on. I'll sit next to front cover
2: of CNBC.com. <laughs> uh, new developments in the weight loss drug race. A new study pointing to a clear standout in the obesity battle. One of the authors joins us next to lay out which name is the heavier hitter. Plus, talk about getting kicked while you're down Footlocker. Uh, Lower after an analyst downgrade. And one of our traders has one foot out the door ahead of earning. Mm. More on that when Fast Money returns.
6: Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks taking a breather from their four-week rally as investors return from the Thanksgiving weekend. The Dow dropping more than 50 points. S&P and NASDAQ both slightly lower. Some action after hours in Zscaler. Shares are lower despite a top and bottom line beat and some strong guidance. And then Microsoft hitting an all-time high today. The tech giant on a tear recently, up more than 53% so far this year. Meantime, a real-world study of 18,000 patients showing Eli Lilly's Manjaro, is up to three times more effective for weight loss in overweight and obese adults when compared to Novo Nordisk, Ozempic. Those results not helping shares of either Lilly or Novo today, each down about a percent and a half. Here to dig into the results of the study is one of the authors, Dr. Nick Stuckey. He's vice president of research at Truveta and an infectious disease physician with Providence Health. Doctor, thank you for joining us. So tell us, tell us what this study shows.
7: Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Um, This study is really out ahead of the randomized controlled trials um, comparing um, the effectiveness of Mount Jaro versus Ozempic in overweight and obesity. And so what we showed was using um, patient data from patients that are out there receiving this drug on-label or off-label, we're able to show that uh, Monjaro is quite a bit more effective than Ozempic. And um, what we see, like specific stats, um, those that achieve 15% weight loss are three times more likely to be on Monjaro versus Ozempic. So that's a kind of the high level finding. Um, we also see that over time, three, six and 12 months, that the, the um, benefit of Monjaro is actually increased. So more likely to achieve greater weight loss even farther out at farther out time points.
2: Has anything ever been done like this where the, where the two have been compared and contrasted? And by the way, doctor, neither of them are approved, right, for obesity and weight loss, though their sort of sister drugs are.
7: That's exactly right. So those are really a few really good call outs. Um, first of all, the randomized controlled trial is underway and will be, you know, it's expected in maybe six months to a year. So um that's one benefit here. We are looking at the diabetes dosage of these two drugs. And so you're right that um, the obesity dosage will be higher, but really um, able to look at what we would expect to see when that randomized control trial comes out um, in you know, the, the coming year.
4: Doctor, can you talk to a little bit about, um, so the patients that are taking this for obesity, some of the other trials that have gone on around heart attack and stroke and, and sort of you know, how this ties into this whole conversation? Because I know there's lots of different trials going on for lots of different ailments.
7: Yes, 100%. I mean, we've seen benefit in kidney disease and cardiovascular outcomes. Um, American Heart Association Conference was um, two weeks ago, and there was some new data showing uh, striking improvement in cardiovascular outcomes. And um what we're really trying to do now is like, Understand where these benefits are and and what's driving them because these things are acting both um, you know in increasing insulin but also um, increasing satiety in patients and so leading to lots of um, great outcomes but um, everybody's just moving as quickly as possible which is where you know I think having this data from Truveta really helps um, because we can look across you know 18,000 patients and through our data set of 100 million um, electronic health records um, to do this. Like advanced research.
0: Dr. Stuckey, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being on. So it says yeah, that it, the Major patients were three times as likely to lose 15% of their body weight um, versus the competitor. And does that mean exactly. 10% versus 30% of the people were able to lose 15% of their body weight? Or what, what were those underlying numbers? And then on average, what, does the, what do the different populations lose?
7: Yeah, so good. So it's really about uh, the time base. So you know, going out a year is where we see the most commonly see that fifteen percent weight loss, and um, and we see like a really the most pronounced difference going out a year from um, from you know those patients being on it, and that makes a lot of sense, right? The longer the patients on it, the more the more benefit they're going to see. The the high level numbers that I have here, you know, we saw um, six percent of patients on Moonjaro. or, or patients on Munjaro at three months lose on average 6% of their body weight compared to 3.6% with Ozempic. And then going out 12 months, it's 15.2% for Mounjaro versus 8% for Ozempic. So that should give you an idea of, of some of those average numbers.
2: And just finally, Dr. Stuckey, what, why did you guys do this? Who commissioned the study?
7: yeah, great question. Well, you know our mission is saving lives with data. And um we do I, I lead the internal research team, and we're really trying to advance um, um, health uh, across the country where we can. And so we do take on a few of these studies. Um, as we're able. And of course, we work with our healthcare systems and life science partners to, to really make a big impact where we can we saw the opportunity here.
2: Would you still prescribe to your patients Ozempic because of the, the big gap here in efficacy or not?
7: Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely would. I mean, these things have been, rev- like all the GLP-1s have really been revolutionary in treating um, a variety of diseases. And of course, as we know, with shortage, and you know, your insurance company may cover one and not the other, and so I think it's important to remember um, that they're all effective, and um, and these are really revolutionizing things for us. So I would wouldn't hesitate, and it's just it's just here what we're seeing is one is quite a bit better than the other.
2: All right, Dr. Suckey, thank you for joining us with the results today of your of your study. Let's trade thank this.
7: You, Thanks, everyone. Tim.
1: Well, I look at the two stocks and I look at the valuations and I look at the addressable market and I look at all the uncertainty and I look at the demand, which is, you know, more or less being satisfied. But still, there's a whole lot more out there. And I think the multiples um, are probably justified uh, You know, at this point, though. I think there's still a lot of unknowns in terms of both the competitive landscape. I think the uh, the stocks are, are fully priced. And at this point, you know, allocating fresh dollars there. Look, I I recognize Lilly has been a must-own, and there are people that still own it that go home long every night and say, I believe in this company. Uh, I'm just not there.
3: $560 billion company trading at 48 times next year's numbers, which has scared people away now for the last year, year and a half, incorrectly. The good news is if you go back and if we can pull up a chart of the last year, at least six times, maybe more, this stock has given you a chance to buy it off a 25 to 30 percent peak to trough decline. And I'm not suggesting we're here now, but to Tim's point, you want to own this stock. You don't want to rush into it here, I don't think.
2: All right. When we come back, one of our traders is waving the white flag on Foot Locker by this name is being given the boot. That's next when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money booted. Citigroup downgrading Foot Locker to sell, saying it's tough to execute a turnaround here. Our own Karen Feinerman also hitting the sell button on the stock today. Shares of Foot Locker now down nearly 40% this year. What happened? There were such high hopes for Mary Dillon's return. There were, and uh, I think there still are, but I've sort
0: of uh, sold half the position today. One thing is sort of interesting, I've noticed being on the street a long time. So you have an analyst come out right in front of earnings with a downgrade. And uh, it's sort of a bold step, right? It's a bold step to take. But sometimes the way it works is that they have a good sense of it because maybe management wants to talk down earnings. They want to lower the expectations around the street. Right. So there's two parts of how stocks react to earnings, the underlying numbers and the expectations. And if they can lower expectations, then maybe the the, uh, reaction won't be so bad. I have no idea if that's exactly what happened here or not. But in my experience, I've seen that happen a number of times. So I'm also a little bit concerned about the consumer. And I have been very, very frustrated with the first few quarters for Mary Dillon. I wanted to give her more time, but I just feel like at this point, and I'm actually... It's a tax thing as well. I have 32 days now to buy it back before the end of the year if I want to still if I want to get the loss. Um, So for all those reasons that still she's early, early in the revamp. There's a lot to do here. And the stock actually is not cheap. It's cheap if she ever gets it going, but it's not like a Macy's that was super cheap. Even on, you know, uh, low expectations was super cheap. This is expensive on on probably low expectations. So for those reasons, I sold half. I'm thinking about what to do with the other half. It's been disappointing. I had a lot of high hopes for Mary Dillon. I think she's a, a great, um, you know... Did good things at Ulta. Fantastic things at Ulta, which I am long. Um, and it, it's really been disappointing. We've known about the Nike relationship for a long time, that that's changing, and they seem to have um, been slow to... I mean, they do have on, they do have Hoka, all of that, but uh, they're in the middle of this giant revamp and she's making these big superstores and that's spending a lot of money. Um, so I don't know. I had to just one foot is out the door and I'm wavering on the other foot.
1: That's by the way, I think that's really interesting what she's doing. And and a lot of people, if they are down in a position, try to wait for that day. I just wanted to get back to X. The fact that you're doing what you're doing, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um Citibank, in their note, talked about Mary Dillon. They said, actually, the difference between Ulta and Foot Locker may be that the relationship with the brands that work so well at Ulta may not be the same relationship. And again, they have, you know, they have, uh, we know about Nike, uh, we know about the dynamics here, but um, I think Athletic is also very pressured here.
2: Yeah, well, they had a good run, and certainly in COVID. When we come, back, that'd be a good study, by the way, to look at the analyst actions right before earnings to see how accurate they are, the sell rating. Get
3: show to do it. Does he still work in the network?
2: (laughs) Hey, generative AI can do it, ChatGPT can do it. Ready set report, we've got a slew speaking of tech and retail names on deck to release earnings this week. Our Mike Co. joins us with the options action next. More fast money in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're gearing up for a huge slate of earnings this week. Salesforce, Ulta, CrowdStrike, and a host of other consumer names are on deck. Let's get out to Mike Co for a look at how options traders are playing this slate. Mike, what do you see?
3: Yeah, so Ulta, that one's going to be reporting on Thursday. Options did see above average volume, and we see about a 6% implied move. Sentiment there actually is bullish, and I heard some people on the desk saying some positive things about it. Salesforce is going to be reporting on Wednesday. That one's implying a move of about 5%. Overall option sentiment was slightly bearish there. But the one where we're expecting a good-sized move is CrowdStrike. 7% implied move there, two times the average daily put volume. The busiest contract were the weekly 195 puts. We saw a purchase of 1,000 of those. Buyer paid $1.96. That trader is expecting a move of at least 8% to the downside by the end of the week.
2: All right, Mike. Thank you. Dan, CrowdStrike, Salesforce? Yeah, I, I think, you know,
4: These guys off-cycle, they kind of suffer from a lot of the stuff that we learned over the last few weeks. If you think about Salesforce's rally, let's say 15%, you know, off of a four-month low into the print, that's probably not a great setup. So when you're seeing like some defensive positioning, as Mike just kind of detailed, that makes some sense to me given valuations and the like here. So that's the one that I'd kind of focus on. But, um, you know, again, I think there's probably some tape bombs. The, The one thing we did learn from Q3 earnings is that Q4 visibility is really poor across lots of different sectors. So I would expect that to get worse before it gets better over the next few months.
2: Yeah, and we can kind of look at both as barometers of IT spend, right, yeah. a little bit? Karen, Ulta, you, you said you own this. Yes. Uh, so it's had a
0: nice little bounce off the bottom. It hit as low as about 370. Um, so it's 16 and change times earnings, which for Ulta is actually pretty cheap. they got a great balance sheet. What I uh, like about it is Target really sort of talked about beauty as really one of their strong points. Um, same Coals and Sephora. So uh, I like the space at
2: 16 times. I think it's good to own. One of the stronger spots in consumer spending right now, seems like. All right, up next, your final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim.
1: Sarah, it was great to have you. I don't think we really properly yeah, we brought did. her on to the... Yeah. I always, feel, share I always here. feel so welcome And,
2: and always great to own gold. I argue with you. Well, no, but gold it, move is very impressive. Oh, thank you. Thank day day you. Week. Can't, <laughs>
1: can't wait to talk about it on your show. Gold now, gold next week, whenever, gold.
2: All right, Karen. A
0: yeah, uh, big run in Alphabet selling some upside calls into the end of the year. Ooh, Dan?
4: Yeah, given that data and some of the pricing dynamics in those GLP-1s, maybe Long lily, short no-go.
3: Uh, I'll stay in the Tim Seymour camp, but I'll go a little sober for you there. P-A-A-S, Sarah.
2: All right. Thank Sarah. you. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for Thanks watching for Fast being Money. Here. Always fun. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com Fast Money Disclaimer. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico.